Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. A little bit of housekeeping before we kick off. I want to remind listeners that we are a totally independent, ad-free, sponsor-free podcast. We rely on the Patreon model to keep the mics on and conversations going. That means we need your help. How you support us is you join us on patreon.com forward slash tortoise The link is in the podcast you're listening to right now. It's not a one-way street. There's tons of additional content, including about six new podcasts in the last seven days four of which are currently member exclusives and three more scheduled for the next, I think, 48 hours. So it's a very, very busy week, but there is a lot going on. So why not throw us the price of a fancy cup of coffee, try it for a month, see what you think, and help us keep these conversations going. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. Thanks for sharing, liking, reviewing, all of those things. But if you can, throw us the few bob. I won't delay any further. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Reboot Republic, the podcast that goes behind the headlines and looks at the big issues in this republic of inequality. We are the podcast of solutions and the podcast of hope. And I'm your host, Rory Hearn. And today is a very, very difficult day. Um, As yesterday was, um, we had a very surprising and disgraceful decision by um, the government to say that it's going to lift the eviction ban, which is ending at the end of this month, March, and a lot of people had expected that the ban would be extended, given that nothing has changed. In actual fact, the housing crisis has worsened since they introduced the eviction ban. I'm joined today by Elizabeth Gregory, who is a mum, who, as she describes herself, had a job, had a house, had a company car, but now finds herself at the mercy of our dysfunctional housing market and is actually facing homelessness with her disabled son. She says, if you think it can't happen to you, think again. I'm going to chat to Elizabeth now just in terms of her own feelings. And I was asked her yesterday, would she come on? But she said she was just too upset. And I think there was a lot, a lot of renters in a similar situation. We know we know that. Um, and at the end of my chat to Elizabeth, I'm actually going to read um, the article that I wrote for the Irish Times today, which I think has a number of important points in it. Um, so listen, Elizabeth, it's great to to have you on uh, Reboot Republic on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it, Rory. Thank you. No, is, how are you feeling today? Uh, well, I'm not crying all the time, so that's an improvement. Nothing has changed, but uh, I'm just, yeah, I, I suppose I'm just getting used to the idea that this is the new reality. It's it's a horrible reality, but there's nothing I can do to change it. So, yeah. What did you think when you heard it? Because I, I assume that you were um, like watching the news, seeing what they were going to decide and... What had been your expectation? Were you surprised when you heard it? Um, I I was surprised in a way, but not really. I wasn't shocked. Um, yeah. it, it doesn't surprise me, really. Um, I expected I expected them to do this because everything that they have done over the past ten years has proven that you know this is this is how they work, and so I wasn't shocked from that from that you know point of view but uh i was really really taken aback and i actually saw it uh before i went to bed and um i was awake for the whole night you know i just kept saying i can't deal with this but you know and then yesterday 
everybody was talking about it and it was like somebody had just told me I was heading to the guillotine you know it was just awful yeah and what is your own situation then you're renting and what's what's your situation yeah well I'm unfortunately I had a really bad accident um you know just over 11 years ago and um and I have an autistic son who's an adult now um so we're on fixed income um like I said to you in the introduction uh you know these things happen in the blink of an eye you don't expect them you can't plan for catastrophes you know that's just life um but you you try and do the best that you can do I'm renting. Um, I have been renting in Ireland now for uh, almost 13 years. Uh, I've been in my current house for eight years. Uh, The previous house um, I was, again, evicted from because the landlord wanted the house for her her family. I have been there for um, three years. Um, And it was just funny the way it happened because uh, she had tried to put the rent up considerable amount and I advised her that you know you can't increase it by that much and she said fine that was okay and within four weeks I was given a letter that I needed to move um and she did not need the house for her family um she just wanted me out and the rent went up like a huge amount for the next tenant and the previous the previous house I was in for about 18 months the same thing happened so I'm here now it doesn't matter I've been here eight years I'm waiting for that letter to come through the door every day, you know? Yeah. It's, um, so this insecure tenancy, it, it doesn't matter how much notice you get because I can't move anywhere else. There's, there's nowhere in my budget that I can go to. And because of my disability and my son's autism, we can't ju- like we can't move into an apartment, for instance, you know? Um, so we're really restricted with where we can go and what we can do. Yeah, as you say, you're in a situation now where you don't know what what's ahead of you. You don't. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, where? how do you get your head around that, living with that insecurity? Well, I mean, I know you have mentioned in, in you know, quite a few of your articles, the, the mental health implications of living in insecure tenancy. And I can't stress this enough. You know, when when life pulls the rug out from under you, you're already on the back foot. You're already dealing with, in my situation, I already had a disabled son and I was on my own. And then I had this awful accident and suddenly I couldn't work anymore. I didn't have a job. I lost my house. I lost my car. I lost everything. Um, But when you add into that mix living like precariously day to day you're already overwhelmed you're already living in a state of constant anxiety and then you go from being in a state of constant anxiety to literally being overwhelmed and you know I'm not going to talk about suicidal ideation and all of those things because that's too serious but it's not just mental health it's it's actually you have no voice you cannot change your circumstances you're you're living at the whim of somebody else and it doesn't matter how good a tenant you are it doesn't matter you know how long you've lived there it doesn't matter none of that matters what matters is whether your landlord decides that you know well i'm not going to renew the tenancy or 
I want to increase it, so I need to get rid of this talent, you know? And yeah, how do you how do you deal with that? How do you make that go away? <laughs> of course, it's just there. It's there. It's there every day. And it's, you know, we hear this so much from renters who are in, in you know, every renter in Ireland in the private rental sector who's, you know, living in that situation is in living in a form of, you know, precarity and a form of, as you say, insecurity that that leaves you in that that state of just not feeling and not knowing, what, you know, what can you do? Is this your home or not? Does it, exactly. in terms of, you know, potentially becoming, you know, if, if for example, the landlord did issue um, a notice to quit and said they were selling up or whatever, um, and you had to leave, where do you think you might go? There is nowhere for me to go. I've been on the housing list for 12 years. I've been waiting for, like, trying to get accommodation source, like long-term accommodation for myself. And well, I have, a, I have another, I have a daughter as well. Um, you know, for the three of us. And I mean, eight years ago when I moved, it was really, really difficult. Uh, the market was was really bad then, and the only way I got this house was by basically, you know, paying quite above what was asked i had to have a nice sweetener so that i could um i'm not in a position to do that anymore but even if i was uh where where can i go you know because i'm in a rent pressure zone um they've only been allowed to increase the rent by x amount um and so therefore they have other properties and the other properties are actually smaller than this one but they're getting more rent for them because they're outside the rent pre- the rent pressure zone so uh like i'm i'm not asking i'm I, i'm not asking for a free house or yeah. i'm not all i want is to know i can be here for the next why can't i sign a 5 year lease why can't i sign a 10 year lease why can't that lease even have like incorporate things like if there's a you know huge amount of inflation or or if the landlord gets into difficulties you know x y and z can happen like we're not saying landlords shouldn't make money you know of course they should make money but housing is an essential we can't live without food or water or shelter we we have to have it like what do i do what do i do if i get that letter today I'm already behind. I'm behind in my rent because I I had an urgent admission to hospital and social security stopped my rent assistance. So so just trying to deal with that on top of being sick, on top of, you know, having to organize care for my son, on top of trying to make sure he's okay. Yeah, what do you do? You can only deal with so much at a time. Of course, and that that is exactly it, and, and unfortunately, this decision has added a very, very significant level of insecurity back into your life. How did it feel when they introduced the eviction ban? Was there any sense of relief from it when they introduced it? Well, first up, when they introduced it, it wasn't May. It wasn't a big like announcement. Oh, everybody's safe. It kind of was mentioned here and mentioned there. So, yeah. you know, so, so first up, there wasn't fanfare. But when I was made aware of it, absolutely, it was like, 
oh my god I, I can breathe I can breathe you know for a little bit until you know hopefully they're going to get the social housing built hopefully they're going to you know have a, a process where derelict properties have been brought online hopefully they're going to you know do x y and z and this is what you expect you expect your government to be active in providing housing solutions but none of that happened so yes there was a there was a sense of um we had a bit of breathing space but Unfortunately, while you have that breathing space, there's this disbelief of every single thing that you look at, there are no solutions. You came out with really, really workable things, concrete solutions that they could have considered, and they chose not to. So why? And for people like me who I can't change my situation, I can't get a mortgage, I can't borrow money. I can't buy anything. So what do I do? Just sit here and read the newspaper and get more, you know, get more and more stressed out about it. Um in you know, while trying to deal with all the other stuff that's going on. It's you know, if that's not a recipe for disastrous mental health, I don't know what is, really and truly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And of course, minding your son as well and caring for your son with that as well. Um, yeah, and, and he has really complex medical needs, you know. Um, you know, for you know, he, he, he can't control a lot a lot of his, you know, behaviors and whatever. And so he makes noise and he's loud and he shouts and he gets angry. And you know, you're talking about a young man who has not you know, gone into the garden even for like seven years. He can't, he can't even stand at a door. All of the blinds have to be closed. You know, he, he really struggles with people and with the environment. But can you imagine if we were in a situation where, you know, we're in a, for instance, an apartment block and he was behaving like that? Everybody is going to get really stressed out, not just me. Everybody is. So, you know, what do you do? I, I try and manage him as best as I can, but obviously I'm really concerned and worried about him all the time. Um, and and there are no solutions and there are no supports for him either. So we're literally just on our own, basically. That's it. Uh, and, you know, not to very difficult to talk about this but you know i've come across and you know and you hear about and i've researched that you know in situations for example when a family with a member is has a disability is made homeless that you know going into emergency accommodation is just completely inappropriate like you can't even countenance oh. it like how would you know going into a bnb or a you know a hub or it's it, the thoughts of even moving from the property that we're in at the moment, the thoughts of actually having to physically, you know, move him out of his room is like insurmountable. That is a huge, huge like task. Um, and it's going to be incredibly daunting for him. Um, but the thoughts of going into like a shared accommodation place or emergency accommodation or y y seriously we we won't cope he won't cope and i absolutely won't cope 
I, I, I know we, we can't do it. It's not a case of, oh, you know, it'll be okay for a day or two. No, it won't. It absolutely won't. Like, seriously, we won't. We can't. We can't do it. Yeah. And, the you know, there's your experience is replicated in not just hundreds, but thousands of renters yeah. um, who are, you know, in receipt of rent supplement or the housing assistance payment. The figures are they're quite staggering. It's between seventy to eighty thousand households in the private rental sector, and um, are getting some form of state support, mm. and and that is because either income levels or need or you know, and they are in no position to get anywhere in terms no. of housing. And no, so, we're, we're we're just stuck. Yeah, we're stuck. And, and so, the, as you say. You know, again, in Manny, there's multiple needs and the the, pos- the idea of going into emergency accommodation is not there. So it seems to me that the obvious thing, the state has now this, you know, the, the, the purchasing of property of tenants in situ, as they call it, whereby they will purchase a property if a landlord is selling up. It seems to me that that's the thing the government has to do on, on a major, major scale. Like they're talking about 1500, but like they will need to purchase, you know, maybe 10,000, maybe 20,000 to actually you know, give people some security. And it's actually, it would be extending the public housing stock as well. So it would be a a benefit. Yes, of course it would be, you know. And when you look at how much HAP and rent assistance is costing, like the, the exchequer, when you look at how much goes out in order to keep people, you know, in precarious accommodation. Basically, what you're doing is taking money from the exchequer and putting it into the the landlord's hand. Yeah. Would it not make a lot more sense just to cut that out altogether? Would it not make a lot more sense to build social housing, build it, buy it, renovate it, you know, get all those unused properties and derelict properties back on the market. There has to be better ways of getting bang for our buck. And, you know, landlords want to invest some money and want to make money. And that's great. But there are lots and lots of opportunities for people to invest money. It doesn't have to be in housing stock. If your money is tied up in housing stock, you can take it out and you can put it into something else. But people who need housing don't have the option to get out and just do something else. We can't go on holidays. We can't emigrate. We can't We can't do any of those things. We have to stay where we are and we need shelter. We need accommodation. Um, we need it to, you know, f- for the long term. It's not something we need for a year. We don't want to sign a lease for a year. We want to sign a lease and have a home, you know, it's not brain surgery. It's not that difficult. It really isn't. No, no, it's absolutely not. You just, you want to have a home and you should have a home. Um, listen, Elizabeth, it's been great uh, to have you on and for you to, you know, to, to talk and, and tell your story. And, and I'm really glad you did um, because it's so important that we do, we hear this. And it's because, because of course, you are not even a statistic in terms of the, you know, you're on the housing waiting lists, which are you're included on the overall national housing waiting yeah. list, but not in terms of homelessness or at risk of homelessness. No, no, I'm I'm not I'm not even a number really. Um, but yes, I'm living the nightmare. You know, yeah. and yeah. and yesterday my life changed. My life changed really dramatically, and it changed for the worse. And through no fault of my own, 
I'm here. So, yeah, as I said uh, earlier on, just don't think it won't happen to you because we are all just a nanosecond away from, you know, catastrophe befalling us. And I hope it doesn't happen to people, but we can't we can't plan for accidents, you know, no. you really can't. And that's, um, and that's yeah. the whole point of, of a welfare state and a state that supports people is that, you know, if things do happen and that they are supported and that's not a case that they are plunged into these situations of uncertainty and an yeah. extreme, extreme difficulty. Um, the What do you think, you know, the government should do and people who are in their homes facing this insecurity? What, what do you think is a reaction or is there something that can be done? There are there are so many things that could be done. There are, you know, your book list small to Rory. <laughs> there are so many, so many things that could be done. Um, but realistically, uh, you know, whatever whatever your thoughts are on the eviction ban, until we have a handle on what is happening with our housing market and until it is a functional housing market, the eviction ban must be extended because the heartache and the you know the stress and everything else that it's costing people is just too much people are going to die over this they're not going to die because they don't well they they will die because they don't have shelter but people are actually going to go under because they just can't cope they can't cope anymore i mean i'm i'm in a difficult situation but there is no one to look after my son, so I have to do it. I have no choice. But there is no reason why I can't have some security. There is no reason why my tenancy can't be protected. There's no reason why, you know, we 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 can't have a home and, you know, try and get our lives back together again. It's not, as I said, it's not brain surgery. Restore the eviction ban get the housing market into a functional state and let's go from there. Yeah, absolutely. I think you've said it exactly. And that that call, I think, needs to go out very clearly now that they actually need to put the eviction ban back in place. Um, I think there's been a huge reaction, much stronger than they expected in opposition yeah. um, and from people and the reality of that they were denying the human um, catastrophe that it is. Um, and I think that there needs to be a very strong public uh, call and public solidarity back to say, look, the eviction ban needs to be put back in place. Um, yeah, and and but it it affects everybody. I mean, I'm I'm talking with you today, you know, and I'm explaining my situation. But our dysfunctional housing market affects everyone even the private landlords, the private landlords who have children that are looking for somewhere to live, they are having problems. They can't find a place. Interest rates are going up. All of these things are happening. A home a home is a home, but if you treat it as a commodity and as an investment opportunity and you choose to invest in that as opposed to having your money somewhere else and earning you know earning an investment uh somewhere else well you're you're basically yeah commodifying my life and you're commodifying everybody's life so i think it's really critical that we we take stock of that and actually say 
well, no, we need we need to take this off the table. There ne- there has to be a better way of doing things. You know, there, there absolutely do, does. There absolutely does, and we need to make housing a human right and put it in the constitution yeah. and make these changes. This has to be, I think, the turning point. This has to be the point at which they are forced to realize that that, as you say, a home is an absolute fundamental necessity, and that comes yeah. above investment assets and property assets and that people's yeah. need for a home you know listen elizabeth yeah. thank you so much for coming on and uh, we'll keep in touch um, yes and hopefully you don't get that uh that notice um but listen we'll keep in touch on it and yeah. you know um thank you so much for coming on and telling your story Listen, you're very good for having me. I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for everything that you do. Um, you really are a beacon for a lot of us. Um, you know, we feel if, if you're talking and you're talking for us, we have some kind of voice because right now we just feel like we are a silenced, silenced group of people that have no representation. We can't, we can't you negotiate with our landlords because They are in the driving seat. They have all the power. It doesn't matter what protections we have. They're the ones that are driving this. So we just have to buckle up and, you know, try and survive the ride. But thank you for everything that you do. And um, hopefully my landlord isn't going to jump up and down at how much I'm behind on my rent. But, uh, yeah, breaking my tooth last week didn't help, you know, having to pay oh. 260 euro to have that fixed. So I was 260 euro short of my rent. But, um, yeah, oh. look, what can you do? What can you do? You're doing amazing. Listen, thank you so much, Elizabeth, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Rory. I appreciate it. That was uh, Elizabeth Gregory there, and um, you can go over to Uplift um, forward slash extend the eviction ban. We have updated the petition um, to call on the government to reinstate the eviction ban. So if you go over to uplift.ie and um, sign that petition and circulate it, we really do need to... uh, Put that call out and mobilize around that because it really isn't acceptable. Um, I'm going to read now my article that um, the Irish Times published today, and it is entitled um, Ending the Eviction Ban. We need to understand the scale of human misery that will follow this decision. The lifting of the eviction ban is a disastrous decision for thousands of renters. It is a major mistake by government that will have devastating social ramifications. A mother who's renting contacted me yesterday. Stunned by the ending of the eviction ban, I can't stop crying, she said. It puts her and her disabled son at serious risk of homelessness. Up and down the country, renters are in a state of panic, fear and anxiety about where they're going to go when the notice to quit deadline is reached. Thousands of renters are going to be evicted into a rental market with very little property available and none that is affordable. Homelessness services will be swamped. There isn't even emergency accommodation available. We need to understand the scale of human misery that will result from this decision. In 2022, a phenomenal 2,734 families and their children in the region of 5,000 youngsters were made homeless in Ireland. Most were evicted because the landlord was selling up. The Residential Tenancies Board was notified of 4,643 eviction notices served by landlords from 2021 to 2022. The loss of your home being forced to move to temporary emergency accommodation, couch surfing or into overcrowded accommodation is a traumatic adverse childhood experience and ace. It leaves psychological and developmental impacts that can be lifelong. 
The longer the time spent in emergency accommodation, the more damaging it is for a child. Evictions of families from their homes means the loss of their support networks and children being torn away from their friends, schools and communities. How could an Irish government make this decision knowing the direct impacts on the most vulnerable in our society? I have been highly critical of policy decisions that have prioritised property interests. But this decision is really shocking. Nothing has changed since the moratorium was introduced last October. The housing crisis has actually worsened. This decision even runs contrary to the government's own policy commitments under the EU Lisbon platform on combating homelessness, which states evictions should be prevented whenever possible and that no one should be evicted without assistance for an appropriate housing solution. Was this a crude and cruel political calculation by government? Landlords are among their core voter base and are a powerful lobby group with access to the media and politicians. This is a shameful decision that has put the property investment interests of landlords ahead of the most basic need of a home for renters. The government had options available to it. It could have introduced an amendment allowing for landlords to move back into their homes if returning from abroad or moving a family member in. The starting point of good policy is ensuring it is evidence-based. This decision put political and privileged interests ahead of the evidence. Those working directly to support tenants and preventing homelessness, such as Threshold and Focus Ireland, made it clear that the eviction ban was working. Levels of homelessness would be even higher if the ban had not been implemented. Furthermore, data published by the Department of Housing shows the number of families being made newly homeless presentations fell since the introduction of the eviction ban, especially in Dublin. In the three months of July, August and September 2022, 708 families nationally were made homeless. Then in the last three months of 2022, after the ban on evictions was introduced, the number of families presenting as homeless nationally fell to 637, a 10% reduction. In Dublin, the number of families newly presenting as homeless fell by 22% from 218 families in Q3 to 169 families in Q4. Overall, numbers in emergency accommodation continue to rise as the numbers entering exceeded exits from homelessness. To clarify, 2,734 families were made homeless in 2022. 1,109 40%, were prevented from entering emergency accommodation by other solutions being found, and 1,625 entered emergency accommodation, while 944 families were supported to leave. Eviction bans are only one part of a suite of housing policies that need to work together. During the COVID-19 pandemic, other measures also played a role in supporting families to leave homelessness. Local authorities increased the proportion of social houses allocated to homeless households as a public health measure and more homes became available to rent as the collapse in tourism led landlords to shift from short-term holiday rentals to long-term rentals of homes. The claim that extending the eviction ban would deter property investor supply, small and corporate landlords, is not a basis on which to make policy. Such a policy approach of constantly trying to appease landlords' property investment aims brought us to this crisis. Do we allow rents rise ever higher and stand over tenants being continuously evicted from place to place as landlords sell up? Landlords argue they are being made to pay for government policy failure. It is true that the government's ideological opposition to building social housing resulted in a shift to providing social housing through subsidy schemes such as the Housing Assistance Payment, HAP. But landlords have still had their rent paid. Almost £1 billion a year is being made by landlords through these schemes. It's hardly charity work. The issue of landlords leaving the market needs to be disconnected from tenants being made homeless. Landlords do not need to evict a tenant in order to sell their property. They can leave the tenant in situ, as is commonplace across Europe. And legislation should be introduced to remove the ability of landlords to evict a tenant on sale of property. Landlords will ask who will buy our property then. The Minister for Housing has given the answer. Local authorities and housing associations have funding to buy up such property. 
The fundamental problem is the over-reliance on the private rental sector to provide the basic need for homes. The solution is not more incentives for private rental supply, such as tax breaks for landlords, but to build social and affordable housing on a scale that meets the housing needs of the people in this country. Rather than reduced regulation for landlords, we need to continue to enhance tenants' rights and security, have an orderly reduction in the private rental sector and buy out landlords who want to leave. We need emergency legislation and dedicated funding to bring into use the 166,000 existing vacant homes, along with derelict property and rapid factory-built housing. There is a stark dichotomy between the huge resources available to government, budget surpluses and $4 billion being put aside into a rainy day fund, and unprecedented levels of homelessness. There can be no excuses for this scale of homelessness in one of the wealthiest countries in the world. No one should be evicted into homelessness. It was never more clear than it is now that we need to shift to treat housing as homes, a human right, and put that right into the Constitution. And so we absolutely do. Um, And thank you, listeners, for staying with us, for listening. If you can, share the podcast around, please. This is such an important story, such an important issue that we need to inform people, let people know, encourage people, and also... um, a big shout out to the organizers, Aoife, Catherine and Bridget of the Fela housing uh, event, which I was down at in Charlie Burns bookshop in Galway. Um, and there gave me real hope. Um, the people, the huge crowd had turned out and really determined to change housing and to make the change. They're having the Fela housing this weekend in Galway City. You can look it up. Um, an event with speakers, musicians, and I really think it's the part of a growing movement and will be central to a growing movement to change housing in this country. As I said, the petition has been set up on Uplift um, to extend the eviction ban, to reverse the decision, to uh, lift it over on my Uplift. Please go over and sign it, share it around, um, and let's get this terrible, terrible decision reversed and make housing a human right. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you all very soon.